Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I've been uh, throwing together over the last few years now where I basically talk about everything, all things investing, uh, where I share with you some of my uh, ideas, my takes, some perspectives, uh, as well as other people's perspectives on investing, as well as also sharing with you some of my thought processes that I've used that helped me have made helped me make uh, investment decisions. The real goal here is is hopefully you can take some ideas, some nuggets of information, and bring them back to your own personal uh, investing world. Where hopefully at the end of the day you'll be able to make better investment decisions uh, for yourself. My name is Amon Reina, and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And as an investment coach, what I do is I try to help people who want to become more financially independent. The problem is, for most people, when they think about investing, is they, they get really frustrated or confused by the whole process. They either don't know where to start if they're new to investing, or uh, they've, been work- they've been investing for a long time, but just aren't, see- just aren't seeing their portfolios get any traction. So what I do, ultimately, as an investment coach, is I, as I teach people, I engage with them on how to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and, and achieve it with confidence. So as I said, I've done now, this is I've done about 130 of these episodes. And for those of you who've been following and listening into my podcasts, and thank you for doing that, by the way, uh, my podcast, when I looked back on, on what I've done, they've kind of fallen into two basic categories. One is where I talk about um, concepts, investing concepts or certain observations that are things that are, that are going on in the market in the investing world and share with you some of those elements. And they could be you know, behavioral in nature and, or they could just be more academic-y kind of concepts. Um, at the end of the day, they're, they're kind of, so that's one side of it. And then the other side of the types of podcasts that I've been doing is the decision stuff, the application stuff where I, where I share with you um, <clears throat> my own personal investment decisions and, and more importantly how I go about making those decisions. So they're very application oriented where I where I show you where I where I'm practicing investing. And so so it's essentially there's two types of episodes I've been doing. It's basically like the, the philosophical kind of episode uh, uh, episodes and then there's also the practice episodes. And the more I've I've kind of been doing a lot of thinking in the last while and I've I'm find myself coming to a to a realization as, as an investment coach I teach people um, I'm not a um, I'm not like a philosopher of, of investing I'm not some um, person who who invents invents investing concepts I'm very much an applications person that's why I got into investing is to is to grow my savings to to make more money uh, to create more financial security for myself I didn't do it to you know write the next great uh, invent the new uh, next new financial model or investing model I'm not a financial philosopher there's a lot of other people out there who are way better at that than I am but I'm not and what so it's allowed me to kind of change my focus in terms of how I consume information and also how I put you know what information I put out there what content I put out there Um, and it's got me into doing a little bit of a reset so what I'm kind of gonna be doing a lot more now in the future 
in future episodes is more of the practical stuff, the more application stuff, the part where I'm practicing investing, where I'm instead of just talking around investing. There's a lot of other people that can do that way, way better than I can. I'm What I'm good at, what I think I'm good at is the practicing part, the application part. So you're gonna see a lot more uh, stuff coming out of, uh, coming out of me um, in terms of the decision making and the, the application side of investing. And that's the stuff I really like to do and that's the part I really can, I love getting my, my elbows, uh, rolling my sleeves up and getting into it. Um, so building on that concept, uh, today is decision day where, for those again, for those of you who've been following my uh, posts, my podcast, uh, and my blog. Um, every month I put together some stuff where I share with you some of my uh, recent investment decisions and where I essentially talk through the thought processes that led me to make those decisions. Um, so today I'm going to walk you through some of my decisions that I made in the previous month in June. And uh, it was quite a st- uh, you know, usually you get into June, you kind of like summer's coming around and you know, investing just doesn't really kind of get to the top of the charts for a lot of people. And so you're kind of like slowing things down. It just seems that's the natural pace of things. You think a little bit less about it. Um, but for some reason, I made quite a few moves. Quite a few things happened in June that forced me to make some decisions um, that I wasn't really planning on making, but uh, forced me to make some decisions. And so, and of course, at the end of it, I made those decisions. So I'm just going to walk you through um, what I did. Um, as I said, the goal here, what I'm trying to do here is I'm not trying to sh- give you stock tips and say go buy this or go do what I'm doing. It's more I want you to understand the thought process that, I've, that I'm applying to it because it's all about frameworks and about consistent execution of your investment plan and your investment strategy or your investment playbook. And the people that are really good at this stuff, good at investing, they, they are consistent in how they execute their, their playbook. And so hopefully what you're going to see out of this and hope what you've been seeing in my, this episode and previous episodes and in the future is just the consistency element of executing your playbook and executing your investment strategy. So let's jump in. So first decision, one decision that I made in June was I decided to buy more shares of uh, Big Lots, ticker symbol B-I-G. Um, during the month, the stock fell quite a bit. It was down, uh, the company reported earnings and... It wasn't a great earnings report. Sales were down, margins were down. The analysts really threw up all over the company and the stock went down 10% after the earnings. Uh, and, then, and then of course there's the Amazon thing out there. So, um, so the analysts hated it, Wall Street hated it, the market just kind of took the stock down. But uh, as I said, I own shares in it and what, I, what I've seen, as I said, I've been following this company for a long time and one of the things um, that I like about Big Lots, and I've owned it several times, is that their management team is, is they have a really strong management team, and they have a real, they've demonstrated a really strong competency and capability of managing their capital consistently and generating consistent wealth, uh, creating consistent economic profit. Um, so yeah, the earnings were down, the margins were down, but this company is still making solid economic profit. They're generating strong returns on invested capital. The story really hasn't fundamentally changed. The other side of it is people are saying, oh, well, you know, Amazon's, you know, destroying every retail, so, you know, Big Lots is just going to be another victim of it. Um, and I don't agree because, and I've said this before in previous episodes and in, in, in my um, commentary about Big Lots, is that people that go to Big Lots um, are not the people that are going to Amazon. Um, 
they are targeting a much more lower income group and this is a group that doesn't have a lot as much disposable income they're not going to be connected onto the internet they're not going to be there doing a lot of online shopping they they it's easier for them to buy things going to a store and buying them because they just don't have the, f the financial flexibility to be doing all this other stuff uh, online so so I th to me that this gives a company like Bidlots and other really discount retailers really that kind of um, uh, moat or that uh, insulation um, from from the big threats of, of the Amazons and maybe maybe even the Walmarts to a certain extent. Um, so the stock was down 10%. I decided to buy more shares and basically lower my cost base. So I took my cost base down from 44.50. Now it's down to 40 40 dollars and 91 cents, I think, and change. So. Um, so that's what I did. So I bought more shares, averaged my cost down. And sure enough, after I bought the shares, the stock um, kind of woke up a bit and it popped a little bit. And then it's now it's currently trading at about the 43 level. So I'm actually slightly, I'm slightly ahead now on that, on my position. I was down before it, before I bought more shares. And now I'm actually ahead because I've averaged down my cost. So that's so far as a decision that's working um, well um, there. So that's big lots. Um, <clears throat> next decision I made was I decided to buy more shares of Southwest Airlines, ticker symbol LUV. Stock went, was, I bought it in the 56 level. The stock was been, has been basically drifting down almost to the 50 level. And really, fundamentally, nothing has changed. There's no significant uh, events going on with the company. Nothing has fundamentally changed in the business. Um, stock's just dropping. And uh, so I just took the opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to average, average down again, and I, which I did, and I lowered my cost base now to 53.40. Um, there's issues. There's, you know, the only really thing going on right now is is, uh, is Southwest is ramping up to to offer now service to Hawaii. Uh, it's an interesting concept because Hawaii is basically the exclusive domain of Hawaiian Airlines. There's basically nobody else flies within the Hawaiian Islands. And so Southwest is, has said they're going to go into there, and a lot of people are thinking that's going to threaten Hawaii, uh, Hawaii, Hawaiian Airlines' uh, essentially monopoly, monopoly position. Um, so there's potential there for them to take some share away from, from Hawaiian Airlines, and ultimately that could, that could feed into some additional revenue streams. So... Um, so yeah, so I, I again, fundamentally nothing's changed with the company, and this is still a, one of the best well-run businesses out there. Has been consistently generating over its lifetime strong economic profit, solid balance sheet. Um, <clears throat> Consider really the best of breed airlines out there. One of the few airlines that was really truly profitable has been consistently profitable. Um, so yeah, so stocks down, and I said, hey, no, here's an opportunity to buy some more stock at a cheaper price, lower my cost base set things up for the future. So that was Southwest. Um, that's Southwest. Uh, next decision, a couple of selling decisions, which uh, kind of creeped up on me and really didn't see it coming. Um, but I was forced to make some decisions. And one was with Williams-Sonoma, ticker, ticker symbol WSM. Williams-Sonoma, I've owned this stock for a while now, for almost a few years. And it's been kind of flat to, to down for most of the time. Um, but <clears throat> the company reported some really great earnings and the stock popped. It actually popped. It's been kind of languishing in the low and the high 40s, kind of drifting between high 40s, low 50s. Um, but then in the past month, the stock popped and uh, and now it's, it went over 60. And all of a sudden, my uh, <clears throat> my rev my uh, return, I was up 20% on the stock. And for those of you who follow, have been following me, uh, 
I've, I have my sort of an exit strategy, which is every time a stock goes over 20% return, I kind of reevaluate it whether I want to hold it or I want to take the profit at that point and sell it. <clears throat> so with Will, with Sonoma going over 20%, uh, I, I was faced with, I've been faced with a decision. Do I hold on to it or should I sell? And ultimately I made a decision to sell. Uh, <clears throat> it looks like really, and it was a tough decision to make because I've had the stock for a while, really hasn't done much, um, but the company's been thriving. It's doing an, an incredible job of, of really withstanding all the Amazon threat, the online threat. And here's the thing about Williams-Sonoma that I don't think people have picked up on is Williams-Sonoma is more of an online company than the store we think of the, going into the, the, the fancy stores. Um, more than half their sales now come online. Um, they, and, and the fact is they, they offer in the stores their service level and their um, service level is, is quite high. And uh, <clears throat> they've managed to kind of complement, they complement each other quite nicely. And uh, really the market and investors really haven't seemed to have noticed this, but I think it's sort of now, now it's kind of waking up to people that, you know what, Sonoma's a type of company that seems to be holding it, more than holding its own against, against Amazon. And, uh, <clears throat> and so I would kind of face that decision. It's like, you know what, okay, maybe the stock is now gonna make, kind of make a big run. And uh, so I was saying, you know what, do I hold on to this or should I just bank my profit of 20% on it? So I thought about it and again, it comes down to consistency of following your investment strategy. And my strategy is when stocks cross the 20% mark, the, you know, the worst thing you can do at that point is, is sell it and take the profit. There's nothing ever wrong with taking a profit. And to me, I felt very comfortable taking a 20% profit um, actually, when you compare it on U.S. dollar basis, I was up 26% on the investment. So on a <coughs> adjusted foreign ex uh, FX basis, it's 19.7%, it's, it's 20%. So, and one of my weaknesses has always been I tend to sell stocks fast when they have a run. I don't let, I tend to not let my stocks run more than they should. And I think part of it is just the security that I feel with when I cross 20%, I just feel safe with a 20% return. I'm, I'm, you know, outperforming the market. I'm, uh, you know, uh, in terms of inflation, in terms of uh, my protecting my purchasing power, I'm enhancing my purchasing power. If I can generate consistent type returns in the 20% range, and so that's my comfort place. That's my comfort food, and that's me. That doesn't mean anybody of you, anybody out there, you're out there, um, should follow the same thing. We all have different tolerances for risk. So, uh, so ultimately I decided to sell it. And again, I like the company. I have no issues with the company. I think it's a fantastic company. It's clearly demonstrated as more than capable of the to have the competencies to compete with an Amazon and to, and to, and to generate a, a consistent level of economic profit. And it has a management team that has demonstrated that it can manage capital. This is a solid company. It's a quality business. Um, so I took my profit, but you know I'm going to keep an eye on it. And if the stock does fall back down into the low 50s or high 40s, then you know what? I, and the fundamentals of the business are still the same. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem jumping back in. So, um, so that was my decision with Williams Sonoma. The next decision that I made was another sell decision, which was I decided to sell my shares in Baidu um, for a 23% per gain. Um, now this was a strange one because. 
I just bought Baidu literally a few months ago, and this is a stock I was kind of planning to expect to hold for a long time um, because of the volatile nature of the stock. When I bought it, I bought it at 226, and then the market kind of crapped out, if you remember, in February and March, and the stock went as low as 214. I bought more shares, and uh, then the next thing you know, you sneezed, and the stock was over, the stock is was over $270 a share. So um, adding to that, the fact that the US dollar was starting to go up, um, it quickly, uh, next thing you know, I was up almost 23% on this stock and out of nowhere. And uh, I really wasn't expecting it to, to pop like that. Um, so again, I was faced with a decision. Um, fundamentally, the company, um, I think it's a solid company. It's definitely, again, the same, you know, symptoms and the same characteristics are there solid economic profit quality balance sheet um, market leader best of breed in the in its space it's pivoting now more towards ai technology robotic technology which is going to be a bigger thing in the future um, it's the dominant player and one of the dominant players online retailers in in china um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of good things behind the stock and the stock went to 270. I was up 23%. Again, the same decision that I faced. Do I sell the stock, bank the profit, or do I just keep rolling and, ri and riding it, uh, keep riding it? Difference really more with Baidu is Baidu is, is definitely a much more volatile stock. Um, just as fast as it can go to 270, it can go to $150 in a couple of, in a couple of weeks too. So um, <clears throat> I kind of took the buy low, sell high mentality in that hey, I'm up 23%, the stock can easily fall flat on its face, let me bank the profit, and you know what, I'll come back in another day, if the stock does fall in the future, then you know what, I'll jump back in, and come in at a lower price point. And uh, so I like the company, I like the business, um, <clears throat> I was just happy to take my profits, and sometimes that's just how you do it. Um, <clears throat> and sure enough, after I sold it at 270, the stock, plummeted down to 240 uh, because uh, it was announced, I believe, the COO of uh, Baidu uh, abruptly out of nowhere uh, resigned uh, and took a leave, I think, or resigned, I forget, and the stock got tanked because a lot of people were thinking the COO has kind of been the, the guts or the sort of the, 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 the anchor in terms of uh, a key driver in terms of the company's pivoting towards more... Uh, uh, artificial intelligence technologies, AI technologies, and so the market freaked out, and sure enough, the Mars stock fell. So I guess the decision was timely. I didn't know anything about a COO resigning, so when I sold my shares, it just is a fortunate fluke that that happened, and that does happen in investing. Everything doesn't happen according to a, a pre-described plan or what your pre-described plan is. Things happen, so I kind of was able to luck out there uh, from that perspective. Now, if I did still hold shares, I probably would have bought more shares and lowered my cost base. If, if I was able to lower my cost base, I would have probably bought more shares. But So, so we'll see. I'm going to keep an eye on Baidu again in the future. If it does p fall back, um, yeah, and the fundamentals, again, of the business are still s the same, uh, I'd be happy to jump back in and, uh, and, buy s and buy some more shares of that. So that was my decision to sell Baidu. And... Now, the last decision that I made, well, actually, no, it's my second last decision that I made 
in June was I decided to sell the remainder of my position in the iShares Gold Bullion ETF, ticker symbol CGL. I actually made about 1.5% on the sale. Now, <clears throat> for those of you who have been following my podcast and following my writings on my blog, um, you'll know one of the things I've been, I try, I've been trying to do um, with my portfolios is kind of do some hedging. Uh, because a lot of the stocks that I own and stocks and ETFs that I own in my portfolio are, are U.S. I own a lot more U.S. stocks, primarily because the types of companies, the types of businesses, the quality of businesses are just much, much better and more. there's just more to choose from in the U.S. than other parts of the world, you know, even more here in Canada. Um, the, the selection and the opportunity, the investment opportunity are just greater. So my portfolio is definitely skewed towards my U.S. stock. The problem with that is living here in Canada is, uh, is the currency risk. So yeah, I own a lot of U.S. dollar-based assets. So if the U.S. dollar were to fall, then the value of my U.S. dollar-based assets were, would fall. Even though the stocks are doing great, I would still lose money on a U.S. dollar depreciation. So what I've been trying to do is to try to figure out a way where I can hedge some of that um, currency risk away. And it used to be really easy to do because there used to be, uh, up here in Canada, we used to have a couple of ETF companies used to have like uh, inverse, ET inverse US dollar ETFs where you can kind of buy, uh, take bullish or bearish positions on the US dollar. And I used to do that in a way to kind of hedge my currency exposure. Problem is, none of those companies aren't doing those things anymore. So it's really hard up here to find a, a Canadian product or a Canadian investment vehicle that allow me to kind of hedge my uh, U.S. dollar exposure. So I kind of had to do some kind of back of the envelope kind of ways to do it. And one of the things I've tried to do, one of the relationships that I've tried to capture or exploit, is this U.S. dollar commodity relationship. For one of the things that seems to be quite common or consistent over a medium and long term is that there seems to be an inverse relationship between the U.S. dollar and commodity prices, like gold, um, oil prices. So if the U.S. dollar were to appreciate in value, there tends to be uh, commodity prices tend to fall and vice versa. If the U.S. dollar depreciates, it tends to be bullish for commodities. And so you can easily track this. If you go to back to 2016, um, the U.S. dollar was falling. And um, and that's really kind of where this all started is in the US in 2016 the US dollar was falling and it led to a big rise in oil prices uh, at that time uh, conversely so what I thought was you know what um, if I'm gonna protect my currency exposure my my US dollar value assets I need to find some kind of um, vehicle where <coughs> I can benefit from uh, a commodity vehicle which I could benefit if it were to um, go up in value then that means the US dollar would depreciate so just trying to make this clear let me just make this a little bit clear um, and that kind of led me to buy shares in the uh, iShares gold bullion ETF ticker symbol CGL it's based here in Canada it's an unhedged so it's in Canadian dollars <coughs> and so the logic that I had was if the US dollar were to depreciate, then the value of gold, gold prices, would increase. And so if the value of gold prices are going to increase, then I want to hold, probably, I would, it would make sense to then hold some kind of product, some kind of uh, stock or ETF or whatever, 
that would track the price of gold. And so the CGL, after looking around, seemed to be the best kind of way for me to get that kind of uh, dynamic in play. So I started buying it in 2016, I believe. And sure enough, the US dollar started to depreciate and gold prices started to go up. And so the benefit of that is, yeah, the US dollar is depreciating, so the value of my US stocks are lower, but I got the benefit of higher gold prices to kind of offset that weakness in my US dollar assets. And so what I did was I essentially bought half the value. So if I had, so for example, if I had $20,000 in US stocks, I went and I bought $10,000 of the CGL ETF. So I was hedging in a way half my exposure. And I didn't buy 100% because for, for you know, let's say the, the US dollar all of a sudden just boomeranged and started going up again in value. So then I want to enjoy the value and participate in that value in there. So hedging is like insurance, right? So I thought if I can insure half of my portfolio um, to protect from these potential US dollar weaknesses, that's going to put, keep more money in my pocket and keep my value of my portfolio um, true, <laughs> in a sense. So in 2016, that was the dynamic. Uh, U.S. dollar was going down. But then guess what happened? Interest rates started to go up. The Federal Reserve started to increase interest rates in 2017. And to today, they're, they're continuing to increase, and it looks like interest rates are going to keep going up. So what's the dynamic? If interest rates go up, then that's going to put pressure or upward pressure on the U.S. dollar. And so if the U.S. dollar is going to increase in value, then assets like gold and oil over the medium to long term are probably going to decrease in value. So if this is the dynamic that's going to be in play right now, it doesn't make any sense for me to own gold ETFs or gold stocks or gold, period. So with this dynamic seeming to be playing out right now, it makes more sense. I thought it would make more sense for me to 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 sell whatever the remaining position that I had in my, in the uh, in my gold ETF, and so that's ultimately what I decided to do. I sold it basically because I think the U.S. dollar is going to increase in value because higher interest rates are continuing to be in play. So it didn't make sense for me to hold gold ETFs because I think, and, it, and that's what we're seeing right now. The value of gold, the price of gold prices have been falling. They were over the $1,300, $1,350 level. They're now almost, they've gone, almost dropped almost $150. I think they've popped up a little bit, but um, that dynamic, that inverse relationship is definitely being in play right now. And so, um, so that's what I decided to do. Now, I have to, under, I have to preface all this by saying this is something I wouldn't tell somebody about. Um, what I'm doing here is very, very back of the envelope. I'm kind of, this is not probably the most clean and efficient way to do it. Um, but that's how I feel because I want to protect the value of my portfolio. I don't want to lose money. I may, I'm you know, putting all this effort to making good, last thing I want to do is start seeing seeing me make really good investment decisions, buying stocks that are going up in value, but then lose value because of a currency issue. That, that sucks. To me, that sucks. And so my personal preference is I would like to hedge some of it, um, protect some of that potential erosion in value. Now, there's lots of other schools of thought from people saying, you know what, if you're going to, there's really no point trying to hedge your currency risk because over the long run, everything reverts to the mean. And at the end of the day, it's all going to be a big wash. And that's true. There's a lot of studies that have shown that. Um, 
but I, I don't know what my long term is, and I'm not investing for a hundred years. I only have this limited finite life that I have on this planet, and uh, I want to max out what I can max out. So, and I want to protect um, the good assets that I have from being erode from eroding. So that's my comfort level. That's my risk tolerance. It's not your risk tolerance. It's not. It has to be what you think. Um, you don't have to agree with me. We're all in different places, different spaces, different comfort levels. You have to kind of find it. So I'm just sharing you kind of one way that I've done it. Um, it's something I would not endorse. Um, it's just something to do and hopefully maybe it stimulates some ideas and stimulates some thinking in terms of how you could do something similar um, to, to protect the value of your assets in there and from that side of it. Um, so that's uh, my decision to sell my gold ETF shares. Now the last decision that I made in June was I decided I actually added uh, a new position to the to my portfolios. Um, I decided to buy some shares of Starbucks ticker symbol SB. What is it? SBUX. Um, I'm not going to get into it. I've uh, decided I'm not I'm not going to talk about it in this episode. Because there's a whole, for those of you, again, who have followed my previous podcasts, um, there's, a, uh, there's a bit of a thought process that goes into, that I go through, that when I'm looking to buy new stock, looking for new shares to add to my portfolio or new stocks to add to my portfolio. And that in itself is an episode. So um, what I'm going to do is I'm kind of going to park that one for a future episode. And uh, I'm going to walk, and I'll, in that episode, I will walk you through my thought process that led me to my decision to buy Starbucks. Um, again, it's a stock I really didn't have on my watch list. It's just, it just came up. And uh, I took a look at it. It's been very out of favor in the last while. There's a lot of issues that a company has been facing, both from, a, I guess, a, a PR perspective, and then also from an earnings perspective. And it got me got me wanting to look at it. These are the type of companies I love to look at because um, there's always upside potential with them. So I took a look at Starbucks and I thought, well, you know what? This might be an interesting opportunity. So look out for a future podcast episode uh, where I'll do uh, a quick deep dive into um, Starbucks uh, on that. But I uh, just wanted to put it out there for you today. Kind of, I guess I'm teasing you. That's a bit of a teaser uh, on, uh, on Starbucks. So that's kind of what it is. So as I said, it was a very busy month. I, I didn't really expect to be making a lot of decisions in June. And uh, it turned out a lot of things happened that kind of forced me to say, okay, you know what? I have to start to reevaluate some things here. And uh, But hopefully what you're seeing here is the way I'm going through it. It's, again, it's very not just kind of like you make it up as you go along. It's part of a plan. Like the decisions that I'm making, I'm trying to apply them in the, to the course of a framework and to the course of a, a playbook that I have in terms of how I make decisions. And that's really what investing is. Investing is very iterative. It's very kind of wash, rinse, repeat kind of thing. Um, and it's very cyclical in that sense. But if you can get into that kind of mindset in terms of how you evaluate and how you, you know, when these certain situations come up, um, it's gonna make your decision making a lot easier and your chances are, if you're making more consistently positive decisions, are going to be much higher than just going, okay, what the hell do I do? So I hope you found that of value. Um, if you've got any questions about this, you can hit me through my website. My, my uh, email is, uh, <laughs> my website is 
sageinvestors.ca. You can find me on Twitter. I'm on there also commenting, observing, sharing content about things that I'm seeing in the marketplace. My handle is at sageinvestors. Uh, I also have a Facebook uh, page. Just do a search on Sage Investors. I post stuff on there too, including updates, new blogs, uh, posts, mind map videos, podcast links. So yeah, feel free to follow me through there if you want to get my latest updates on, uh, on all kinds of stuff that I'm uh, looking at. Uh, I do publish also every Wednesday morning an email. I call it In The Loop, where I share with you some of my I guess, la latest updates uh, on my uh from my website, as well as things that I'm reading personally that I'm kind of using to formulate some of my own investment decisions. Um, really interesting insights and perspectives that I come across. Um, so if you're interested in, in tapping into that resource, um, just feel free to, again, go to my website, sageinvestors.ca, and just drop your email address, and uh, you'll be on the list. And uh, I send those out every Wednesday morning around 6.30 Eastern time. Um, so yeah, check it out. It's uh, it's all good. And of course, my podcasts, I'm on my website, and they're also on iTunes, and they're also on Google Play. So feel free to download and subscribe and leave some comments. I'd love to hear from you uh, in terms of what you like, what you don't like, anything specific you want me to chat, uh, chime in on, give me a shout. It's all good. So that's all I got for you this week. That's been another episode of Stock Talk. Thank you very much for listening in. My name is Amon Reina of Sage Investors, and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.